Tom Bernard Show with Hackmaster Ralph Dwyer Bash from MD. Co-host Catherine Brandt. Andy Brandt-Bernard. Cassie Schrader. A fascinating uh, subject coming up next. Uh, we're going to be talking David Carradine with Marina Anderson right after this Tom Bernard Show. Doug Sprinthal, Walzer Automotive Group, Walzer.com. Tell us about this warranty for life thing. I, you, know, you know, you understand a lot more about this than I do. Well, of course. I know you're not an automotive mechanic. So let me tell you a cool story. This just happened a couple of days ago. I got an email. Somebody emailed me at Doug at Walzer.com, and he goes, Hey, I bought a 2005, and I think it was a Honda Accord, back in 2014, having some problems with the engine. Uh, do I have any coverage? So I called the Honda store. We looked it up, and sure enough, the card qualified for a lifetime powertrain warranty. So it had to be under 60,000 miles at the time of purchase, a uh, non-highline vehicle. And they covered the engine repair. Think about what that means. That's a 13-year-old car, and the guy got his engine replaced. It doesn't cover every single thing on the car, but all the, it's like major medical coverage. So the engine goes bad, transmission, four-wheel drive system. You're covered as long as you own the car, as long as you maintain it to factory standards. It's pretty cool. It actually is really cool. Well, I mean, it's a lot cooler than you or me. Well, it is really cool, though. Yeah, I mean, you know, 15-year-old car. And that's why I buy all my cars, and my family buys all their cars from Walzer Automotive Group, walzer.com, because of warranty for life. And you like working with me, too, right, Tommy? Tommy? <laughs> Tom? <laughs> I, I don't think he's there. <laughs> that's really nice. Very professionally <laughs> delivered from Walzer Automotive Group, walzer.com. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? At, uh, e either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. Christmas time is here. <laughs> I love this song. I know. <laughs> Again, invented over a barber shop on Selby and Snelling in St. Paul. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. It's where Charlie Brown was invented. Where, basically, where uh, O'Gara's is now. The, that building, where they're really? tearing the building. I don't know if they've already torn it down. Yeah, or not. it's gone. It's Long gone. Run. Is it? Yeah. I noticed they tore down the uh, building where Redstone used to be across from Ridgedale. They tore that building down. Oh, by the government oh, they center? Did? Yeah. Mm -hmm. that was wow. It surprised yeah. me. I drove they, by it today. They tore down that other uh, restaurant that had been two or three things over uh, by Hopkins Crossroads where Dick's Sporting Goods and over there were uh, Trader Joe's. They mm -hmm. tore a building that just... They're building apartments. They're going to knock everything down. Yeah, everybody gets apartments. Yes. Yeah, I blame Marina Anderson. Marina, it's all your fault. I've decided. What do you think? No, no, no. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> see the restaurants. They tore. They tore down Dupar's here in, in Studio City. It was like an iconic restaurant that everybody kind of grew up with in the valley. No. And to put in a little mini. Oh God! Everybody was just so upset. Yeah. Little mini mall kind of shopping thing in place of it, and they were just everybody. Uh, no, it's gone. Got good pie there. Good progress, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. There you go. Next thing, the bowling alley will be gone over there. Jeez. Pickwick. 
Not Pickwick. Who's yeah, no, don't say that. Now Pins, Pins is a that used to be Joe Paluca. Yeah. Um, he with the fighter. He used to own this uh, bowling alley, and then he, he sold out way, way. Yeah. I guess in the fifties or something. And now it's Pins. It's that'll be there for a while. <laughs> well, that's a good thing. I love the interview you do with Scott Harris, guys. That was cool. I like that. Yeah, Scott Harris is a nice guy. Absolutely. Yeah. June 3rd marks the six-year anniversary since iconic actor David Carradine died mysteriously in a hotel room in Bangkok, Thailand. I, I must tell you up front, Marina, that I was a big David Carradine fan. Oh, I interviewed him a couple of times uh, over my career. Uh-huh. He's, he's a very soft-spoken guy, but a very nice guy to talk to. I thought he was terrific. Yes, yes, he, he, could, he could be very nice. <laughs> he could also be quite a... <laughs> Is that why you were his he fourth wife? He wasn't all the quite uh, chain cane that people thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you you were married to uh, David? Uh, yeah, I, I definitely was. And you I were was wife number four, to be exact. Your fourth ex-wife? He went on to wife number five before we're <laughs> counting. Well, I don't count Barbara Hershey, but... Um, they live together. I count her because they have a, a, a child together. Sure, um, sure. But technically, I'm number four. <laughs> and you, were you his manager first, or did you start managing him after you got married? Uh, no, actually, uh, we moved in together uh, September 8, 1995, uh, to be exact. And um, his uh, the, the series was going gung-ho and everything, and then it was canceled. And... Um, <laughs> The agent that David, I laugh sardonically, the agent that David had at the time, um, he, he didn't tell us that he was uh, not representing David anymore. We found out by accident through something else. Anyway, so I said, you know what, you, you need to find other representation. Well, he couldn't because um, he had a very bad reputation at the time for the drinking. Oh, and yeah, a lot yep. of things hit the press, like Glasshopper, an incident at the Dome where he kicked the door shut, and the glass shattered, and then in Toronto, he became known as Glasshopper. Um, so he went through a <laughs> lot of stuff hopper. with that. <laughs> Glasshopper, yes. Um, so I, I, I said, look, I, I've got experience with publicity and management and stuff. I right. mean, it wasn't my thing. I was an actress. I had a very viable career going in Canada, and um, guest star roles in national commercials and whatnot. I said, but I can help you. I said, I'll, let me just kind of do my thing for six months and we'll get you back on track well the six months turned into the six years we were together so um uh and he he did get sober during the time we were together he got off the alcohol but what i didn't know at the time through the six years until i spoke with dr drew pinsky who's an entire chapter in my book my consultation is verbatim uh, i found that he was evidently behind my back taking opiates uh, and which explains why he couldn't get off the alcohol in Toronto. I mean, he had the opiates there, but he just wasn't really using them. So when we got back to L.A., he evidently started using them to stay sober, and I never knew it. It, would, and it, just, it was like an epiphany for me. I mean, was, <laughs> that yeah. whole <clears throat> consultation really helped me get closure with a lot of things. I mean, God bless Dr. Drew. I wish I had. I wish I had met him and had the consultation um, before I met David. You know, it's amazing. <laughs> I would have run me. and not run sure. into the relationship. Sure. It, it amazes me, Marina, when people who are, are addicted to alcohol or whatever they 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 always turn to some other mind-altering drug or liquid or whatever. They, <clears> they, I mean, they apparently don't understand what the problem really is. It's not the alcohol itself. It's an avenue to let all that stuff out is what that what the alcohol basically is. So turn into op. I tell you what, I am very lucky, Marina, because if I take an opiate, I'm, I get sicker than hell. It's wonderful. To not, oh wow! I, I do. I get. I, I get a like, natural, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, anti opiate kind of thing in your system, which works for That's me. Good. That's good. Uh, that a lot of people alcohol. don't, but yeah, but yeah, a lot of people turn to. Well, he was also a chain smoker too. That mm-hmm. didn't help matters. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it was a, an addictive type of person. He never, he never admitted that he was an alcoholic. He's, he claimed that he could just stop at any time, but he couldn't. Right. So he did go to AA, but he didn't go on a consistent basis. He would just go to, and I kept out laughing. I'm going to laugh at it now. I wasn't funny then. Um, he would just go to collect his birthday cake. <laughs> and we were in Malibu at one of these 
um, you know, in, in meetings, and his sponsor was standing next to me. We're on stage facing this huge audience, mega people in the industry because it's Malibu. And he goes up to do his speech, and he goes, well, you know, I never really go to meetings. I just come here to collect my birthday cake. And you could hear the rumble in the audience, and I looked to the sponsor, and we went, is there an exit in the back here? Can we just leave now? (laughs) Yeah, that's not He would say things just off the top of his head so many times, and I I laugh at it now, and it was just, this is David. (laughs) Did John have an alcohol problem as well? Yeah, he did. Yeah. See, that's what I always thought. Um, yeah, it, exactly. It it definitely affected um, the boys. I call it, you know the sons, the brothers. Um, very tight knit, um, brotherly hood. Uh, and but David kind of became the father figure because um, John was not there for them. Um, yeah. And even the, the older brother Bruce. Um, that's David, David's older half brother. Mm-hmm. It's hard to keep track of the half brothers, step brothers. Um, <laughs> uh, it it yes. was really David that um, <laughs> that was um, the um, father figure. I, I, I feel you know they all turned to David. And it's so amazing so, um, as you go through life. Like as I said, I talked to David a couple, well, probably a few times over the last you know thirty-five years or whatever it was. I guess you know until mm-hmm. six years ago. Could not have been a nicer guy when I talked to him. He was very pleasant. You know, he was very laid mm-hmm. back and all the rest of it. Could not have been more cooperative. Yeah. Did a great interview. Uh, I, I would have never guessed. What, that what he year had... was this? Because it depends. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. It, I don't remember it during the time that we were together. Because um, before that, <laughs> yeah, he, he could have been a little laced on LSD. Uh, you know, because he, no, he admitted maybe. that it was very public. You know. The, Laurel Canyon trek, you know, naked and <laughs> mushrooms and whatnot. Yeah, so sure. it depends. Uh, but no, David really definitely could be very, um, very laid back. Very, and he was just brilliant. Very funny. I thought so. Um, was he humorous. one? Yeah. Was he one of these actors that when he was working he was okay, and then when he wasn't he'd fall apart, or was it always? No, it, it, the, the thing is, when he was working, yeah, when he did the original series, he. Uh, it's, I think it's in his his autobiography, um, Endless Highway. Um, he would lace his um, Coca Cola with a few drops of LSD, so he was always kind of like on this <laughs> different wow. realm. And um, and he, you know, he took mushrooms and things like that. I I don't believe it was anything hardcore like cocaine, like some people think. Yeah, it was it was the painkillers, and it was the I call it lighter, but it was, I don't call it LSD light. But you know, um, kind of delved into that area um so but it wasn't until and he admitted that during the time we were together he was off uh, but like i said i found out later a little bit on the opiates on everything that was a, he was scared pardon my language in the air less um of being quote sober because he had never auditioned for things quote sober before mm-hmm, yeah. so he leaned on me a lot emotionally which was fine to give him the you know incentive, the encouragement and whatnot, and sure. and he did it, and then he gained that confidence back, and he just took off, man. He was just like on a roll. Um, it was amazing. Um, but I, you know, I was the incentive for him to get off the alcohol. People go, how did you do it? No, I didn't do it. They have to want to do it. Yes. But, they, yeah. but I was part of the incentive. No. Yeah. Was he abused as a child physically? I mean, usually when you need. Um. He. he, he go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no, I, I want to listen to what well, you said. Well, uh, he alluded to it in his yeah. in his book. Um, uh, Dr. Drew and I, um, you know, we talked about that. I, I, I believe that he was um, yeah. to perpetrate that forward, and I wrote about that in the book. Um, I did not out anybody, but um, they did, you know, carry on with a, a set of family member. And part of, I, I felt part of my healing in my path was, to help him with that, I thought I could fix it yeah. because I'm, my uncle um, uh, molested me. So I felt oh, I had man. a lot of healing to do, which I did. And I went through my own self, you know, self-healing, professional counseling but to get through that. And I felt that was part of my mission while I was drawn to David. I went to many psychics and astrologers and whatnot, and especially the close psychics that I, I'm still friends with. Uh, guided me on that, and that, um, yeah, I was part of that to help him with that. But it got to a point where he didn't want to 
uh, deal with it. He didn't want to fix it. He liked it the way it was, and that became the major huge wedge between us and the marriage, and we just, you know, exploded apart. Yeah, I think some people so, um, some people use that. I, I, look, I, it, it's hideous what happens to children, whether it's beating or or, or sexual or whatever it is. Uh, children mm-hmm. carry that with them. You obviously did a tremendous job and said, look, I'm taking this thing head on. And that's just what we're going to do. Other people do use that. And, and I don't mean to say use it sounds bad, but they, they, they literally do not ever want to be sober because they don't want to feel that at all. And then right. when they're not sober, they right. say things like, well, this doesn't bother me at all. Well, that's because you're not sober. Yeah. They're not sober. They stuff it down. And unfortunately, that's why people turn to alcohol and drugs is they're trying to numb out from it. Yeah. And and, and unfortunately, when you sometimes you go to shrinks and doctors, they give you the prescriptions that doesn't help heal a person that masks it over and it gets worse. Right. And so I for me, I, I chose the hardcore method of just really digging into it. And I yeah. I could see past relationship choices, and was like, well, now that, yeah, that figures, you know, one of those things. Um, I, I'm not in a relationship now, so I'm thinking that it is better because what used to attract me to somebody now repels me. Mm, so, and yeah. I, I was actually on Dr. Drew's show fairly recently, and, and that is a major good sign that um, I have healed a lot. So, um, I think that's true. But unfortunately, yes. a lot of people don't. No. And um, that's part of the reason why I wrote the book, was to help people see what I went through, and maybe they'll, you know, take that Band-Aid off, and it's excruci- excruciating pain to deal with something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they don't, then it tends to fester, and, and some people are very adept at um, covering that up and, and being very functional and not being abusive or having to do drugs and things like that. I mean, there are people who can do that. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it's doubly it's hard, different. I think, in the industry because, you know, the partying and all that oh. is just, you know, such oh, a yeah. part of life. Oh, yeah. God, if I had a dollar for every time that I was, uh, you know, <laughs> sexually um, come on to or something, I, I, I would be a very rich woman. Yes. I suppose <laughs> But they didn't true. have the Me Too movement when I went through the, those phases in my uh, you know, acting days and, and beginnings in the industry. and But, boy, the stories I could tell you. <laughs> but the greatest thing about it is, Marina, um, what it sounds like to me is that you, I don't know, some people wake up one morning when they've been through what you've been through, and they wake up one morning and all of a sudden they're fine to be by themselves because it takes a long time to get there after being, yeah. uh, to, to wake up and go, you know what, I'm okay to be by myself today. And that's when I think you turn the corner right. and you realize you're very successful at what you did. It's terrific. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, being alone is, is tough. It's a tough nut. It is, and, yeah. Um, it, it's, uh, it's not for everybody, and they go on to the one thing and the next thing and the next thing because they can't stand the feeling of being alone and dealing with their stuff. And, Correct. Um, and I totally get it. I mean, it's like... It's a bitch and a half. I think it's so, wonderful. Um, and by the way, the name of your book, David Carradine, <laughs> The Eye of My Tornado, is a great title. That's a really good title. Thank you. Because he was. Everybody was spinning around him, and he was just the center of like watching all the chaos that he kind of partially contributed to happening go around him, and he was amused. <laughs> You're amazing. You have to come back and talk to us more. I love talking to you, and, and congratulations Thank on your you. success. You, you worked very hard, and Thank you've you done so a good much. job. Thank you, Marina. Thank you very much. <laughs> Pleasure to be on the show. David Carradine, the eye of my tornado, Marina Anderson. will be back. Tom Bernard Show. A program that benefits the homeowner and not the realtor? Do you want a guaranteed offer on your home? Hey, it's Tom with my realtor, Chris Lindahl, who has some exciting news to share. Hey, Tom, we are super excited to announce our guaranteed offer program. Here's how it works. If you qualify, we will guarantee you an offer on your house within 48 hours, which means you could be closing in three weeks. No staging, no cleaning, no decluttering, and of course, no open house. This is your hassle-free way to sell your home. If you qualify for the program, you will get a competitive offer in 48 hours, period. 
Sounds like a stress-free way to sell your home. It is, Tom. Some homeowners want the convenience to be able to sell their home quickly without going through the stress of showings, open houses, and so many more headaches, especially if they found their dream home and need to sell fast. You do need to qualify for this program, but that's quick and convenient as well. To see if you qualify for the guaranteed offer program from Chris Lindahl Real Estate, go to chrislindahl.com right now or call 763-401-SOLD. Once again, that's chrislindahl.com, Chris with a K. If you're tired of feeling frustrated because your clothes don't fit like they used to, then Nutramost is for you. Thanks to the Sheehy brothers and staff at Nutramost in Plymouth, I am down 92.5 pounds. The Nutramost program is amazing. I lost over 40 pounds during each of my first two 40-day rounds. You can have great success just like me because Nutramost is customized for each individual person, and the staff at Nutramost will be there for you every step of the way. Start your weight loss journey today and let Nutramost help change your life. Give yourself this wonderful gift or give this program as a present. Nutramost guarantees that you lose 20 pounds or more. Nutramost helped me change my life, and they can help you too. Call 763-333-7337. That's 763-333-7337. When you're over at Mr. Nibs, what the hell? This guy's like, join us in the lounge tonight. This is... Funky little drummer boy. It is. All right, get out. That's all I have to say. I love, I love the band. It's Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. Dap. The Dap Kings? Yeah. It's a soul. It's on the Soul Party Christmas album. Oh, my God. Here we go. Funkadelic. Funkadelic. Yeah. Trying to get funky at Christmas. Boy, I tell you, tomorrow we're getting, we got a few people on the show tomorrow, huh? We have yeah. four guests, five guests. Oh. We do? L.A. Nick is a guest. Oh, okay. He's never getting a permanent position. You're out of it. <laughs> Listen to what I'm saying to you. Uh, yeah, in any case, so it, uh, if you had not heard earlier that uh, Penny Marshall has died, I do remember, I think she might have been the first example on the Saturday Night Live game show, Jew, Not a Jew. Oh, really? <laughs> Which was <laughs> phenomenal. God, it was back when you could have fun doing stuff like that. You, no chance anyway. You can't do that. It's horrendous and horrible. You were not a Jew. Oh, but that, it, oh. it, it just really is. She directed sad. Big? I didn't know that. Oh, that's I right. didn't either. She was very talented. Very talented. And you're right, a very nice person. Uh, and her brother. I thought. I always thought Gary Marshall was her dad. I did too. That's that was hilarious. her brother. her brother. How long ago did he die? It's... Uh, it's been it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while I now. Can't remember. See, here's what I love about Penny Marshall. Died, she she always, only died two years ago. She out tried to look kind of dopey. Look how pretty she was, actually. Mm-hmm. She's a very pretty woman. Yeah. You know, but she always made herself look kind of like uh, I don't know. Well, that still was a kind of that era where women that were funny had to look goofy or. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Couldn't be taken seriously. It is true. Though one of the three kids born to a showbiz family, Marshall's road to success was hardly a smooth or typical trip. Starting in an apartment on the Grand Concourse where mom warmed the kids' clothes on the radiator in the winter, her mother Marjorie was a tap school teacher, uh, and little Penny began taking lessons at age three. Dad, Tony Marshall, was a director and producer who changed the family name from Marciarelli. Uh, uh, aspiring actress was hardly uh, blessed with typical Hollywood looks. She once appeared as the before photo and ad for a beauty product. <laughs> oh. This is what I'm saying. I mean, she wow. was a very pretty she woman. Was, yeah. I, I, if just, he weren't uh, the type of the decade, yeah, you're right. That's what she it probably is. was not. Yeah. She probably wasn't the type of the decade. I think she was stunning. Uh, in any case, she was a before photo in an ad for a beauty product with Farrah Fawcett as the after girl. Mm. And Marshall never lost the thick accent of her home borough. She did. No, she I, did not. I love that about her. I really did. She became a huge television star as blue-collar beer factory worker Laverne before changing her career path with both Tom Hanks and Robert De Niro, earning Oscar nominations for their work in Marshall-directed films. She directed... Some of the biggest actors of the time. I'm Tom Hanks and Robert De Niro. Doesn't get a whole lot bigger than that for actors. Yeah. Marshall, one of three kids born to a show's biz family, landed a breakthrough role in the mid-70s with the help of her big brother, Gary, a well-known director, producer, screenwriter. Sister Ronnie, uh, um, Ronnie Harlan became a casting director and a producer. So they all pretty much stayed in the business, it sounds like. 
But yeah, it's too bad. She. I don't know. I'm looking. Seventy-five. Seventy-five years old. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Oh yeah, I'm looking at that picture you were talking about, Andy. Yeah, she she. She was not in good health. Yeah, she was in really bad. Look at that. Yeah. Very sad. Sad to hear that Penny Marshall has died at the age. Italians should never die the week before Christmas. That shouldn't be allowed. (laughs) The hell's that all about? You can't die in a week before Christmas if you're Italian. The hell's wrong with you? It actually seems to be a pretty active week for it is. deaths. I think you're absolutely right. Month, I think it I is say. It is quite active yeah. because people... It's a very stressful time for a lot of people. I do know that. Yeah. But well, that extra weight, does it? I mean, that's her diabetes may have been you can only You can only carry that for so long until it's... I know uh, that. Oof. Yeah, I suppose it's a, that's a tough road to hoe. But, you know, hear this stuff, we... I don't know. Whatever. It's a... It is a tough deal. There's no getting around that. A very tough deal to lose some. I, again, she's been pretty much around my whole life. She was very, very young, and I was a kid when she broke big. So no, yeah, and she did all this stuff, and she just did it in a nice, you know, quiet, dignified manner, and never needed to draw attention to herself by being a jerk. I just, you know, they just don't have people like that too much anymore. Right. That's exactly right. Oh my God, they're going to go berserk, and the. Uh, certain political party Why? well you remember that nut job out in arizona that that won the u.s senate seat the one the the wiccan woman and she said that uh you should go join the you should go join the yeah Kristen seaman or something like that Uh, probably not seaman probably not uh, well that's a name i have a friend with the last name seaman actually two of them spelled differently too Arizona's governor has named Representative Martha McSally to replace John Kyle in the Senate uh, seat that once belonged to John McCain. Republican Governor Doug Ducey announced Tuesday that McSally will take over for Kyle, who was appointed after McCain's death from brain cancer in August, but said he would only commit to serving until the end of 2018. McSally, a two-term congresswoman who was long considered for the Senate by the state's GOP establishment, lost the race for retiring GOP uh, Senator Jeff Flake's seat to Democratic Representative Kristen or Kirsten Cinema. Kirsten. It's Kirsten Cinema. Yeah, there you go. With her experience and lock record of service, Martha is uniquely qualified to step up and fight for Arizona. So they ended up both winning, and now they'll do nothing but battle in Congress. Why do they always have to fight for Arizona and fight for Minnesota? <laughs> Why are they always? Fighting. Who are they fighting? We're fighting for you. <laughs> what, what is this fighting? Yeah, what is this battle they that they always fighting? have to go into? I don't understand. So that's going to be rather interesting. Cinema, not my favorite person when she said, yeah, you should just go ahead and join and fight for the Taliban if you want to. Really? And and you elected this woman. It doesn't matter anymore. No, it doesn't. People say whatever they want. People, they have lost it. There aren't any rules anymore. But, you know, you wouldn't want to elect uh, McSally, who served a ton of time in the service, fought in the Middle East, uh, you know. You wouldn't want her. I don't know. I guess there's a nice balance now. They got uh, Cinema and they got McSally. They got both of them, so there's a nice. They can battle it out. Yeah, and they the can US fight Senate. each other. Yeah, I don't know. So I don't know how long she'll have that seat. Uh, 2020. It looks. Uh, it looks like uh, she'll have it for the next two years, and then she'll run for re-election. I assume they're going to re-elect her. I would. I would think. I don't know. But what can one say? Uh, I don't know. There's. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. The whole thing just... The politics thing... I, people, I think, have hit the wall on it. I really do. Because we... God, I, I try to steer away from... You know, we talk about things like homelessness and, and you know, affordable housing and medic, uh, health care and all that stuff. Things that they have not fixed. But that's not a political thing. I, I really do want to know... They've been fighting for the same thing since I was seven years old. And, and they haven't done anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are more homeless people now. I did it. Andy, would you do me a favor? 500,000 times 40,000 is 20 billion, isn't it? 500,000 times 40,000. 40, it is, let's see, that would be 1,000 million. Yes. Zeros. So it's $20 billion. Mm-hmm. If we gave every homeless person in this country $40,000 a year, it would cost less than the money we give to countries that hate us. <laughs> Well, why do we do that? Because we want them to be our friends. Yeah, yeah why want do. people to have homes, too, you but, know? Well, we are giving homeless people 
that much money when you look at their benefit package. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at their true. total benefit package, that's why we have so many more homeless people because they have benefits. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that guy down in Florida, he said he gets about $37,000 a year. Yeah. And he's like, I can't spend it all. I don't, right? There's no way I can spend it all because I get everything for free. Wow. He lives on a boat. Oh, that's he right. He lives boat. on a boat. He parks in the harbor. his boat yeah, for free. Right. Craig is on the phone. I see. I think that's a good thing. So, Craig. Craig you, Grossi. You pronounce your last name Grossi or Grossi? It's grossy. Yeah. It is grossy. Okay. I just wanted to make sure because... I'll, I, I'll, resp- I'll respond to a lot worse things, but yeah, gross, gross things. <laughs> to a lot worse <laughs> things? Uh, well, we're not going to go with the worst. I will tell you that, Craig. That's, that's, right. that's not part of us. Oh, my God. Right. Here we go. Here we go. It's going to be a problem. My wife is here. Craig Grossi, G-R-O-S-S-I. Craig and Fred. Yep. A marine, a stray dog, and how they rescued each other. I'm gonna cry right now. <laughs> I told right you. Now. Way you to go, Craig. Have, I don't yeah. even, just say stray dog. Uh, yeah, Bobby. I know. I know. He's, if you could see him right now, you'd definitely cry too, because he's laying in the sunshine up here. We live up in Maine, and he's just having the having himself a nice afternoon, just taking a nap. And, a, sunshine a big, in Maine. A big goofy head and yeah. little legs. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. That's him. Is that you or the dog? <laughs> no, that could, yeah, me, that could be, I could be considered to, to have that problem, too. Uh, he Craig, makes it work a lot better than I do. Craig, I'm going to tell you, you're going to make my wife cry, but I have to read the story here. First of all, let me say yeah. this. Thank you for your service, because uh, Sergeant Craig Grossi was a Marine recon, uh, the most elite fighters in the Corps, probably in the world. Is it a battle between recon and SEALs? Well, no. So I was actually—I'm I, not in that fight because I was actually a, uh, an intelligence collector. I was a, a counterintelligence. Well, you worked for Marine Recon. Guy. Yeah. And so I got—I was embedded with with Recon Marines. Who, uh, yeah, I think the, 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 it's a whole different culture within the Recon community. They, they don't get uh, the attention that a lot of the other, you know, of our special forces uh, folks get, but. I think that they actually kind of prefer it that way. They like to, to fly under the radar. But they're they're every bit as as highly trained and capable as, as every other you know spooky unit that we have out there. Um, they're just a really incredible group of people. I was lucky to be able to work. Well, did you go on? Uh, did you go out in the field with them, or did you stay back at the camp? Yeah. Oh, you did. Yeah. No. So my my. Oh yeah. I mean that's, that that was the whole point. I mean I, I've. Um, the areas we were going into, and specifically like where we found Fred, there hadn't really been any sustained and any real troop presence um, for a, for a really long time. The, the British Marines were able to hold it for a while, but um, they were taking a lot of casualties and and uh, eventually had to had to hand it over to us. And and uh, there was a unit of infantry uh, Marines in the, the it was the area was called Sangin, and. They were they were holding on to the district center, kind of the bazaar and the the, the, the town of, of Sangin, and they were losing uh, they were losing Marines at the rate of, of seven to ten a week. Ooh, um, and that's that's killed in action, and the injuries were a lot higher. So we, as, as, with the recon guys, we inserted north of them um, to try and and hold some ground and kind of just if nothing else, just take the take some of the fight to the Taliban and. and the, take some of the attention away from from the guys that were holding the bazaar. What an amazing story. So here we go, ladies and gentlemen. And now Catherine tears up. While on patrol, <laughs> Craig spotted a young dog with a big goofy head and little legs who didn't seem vicious or run in a pack like most strays they'd encountered after eating a piece of beef jerky that Craig offered against military regulations, by I the way. I would have done the same thing. The dog followed him. <laughs> Looks like you made a friend, another Marine yelled. Grossy heard. Looks like a Fred. The name stuck, and a beautiful, life-changing friendship was forged. Tell me all about it. I want to hear this. I love this story. I love the whole idea of the story. Uh, Craig and Fred, Craig. a Marine, a stray dog, and how they rescued each other. How how did you rescue each other, Craig? Yeah, so, I mean, the, those, those first moments, with Fred, you know, we were expecting a lot. We were expecting, you know, the the worst when it came to to that area, to thing, and just from what we've heard and seen, uh, you know, from the people that had been there. And uh, and the first week that we were there, it's exactly what what we got. I mean, we had everything: mortars and RPGs and 
um, you know, really uh, scary kind of numbers in terms of the amount of Taliban that were surrounding our position. And uh, it was a pretty intense uh, couple of days. And uh, in between just defending ourselves, you know, through every waking moment, in between gunfights and and everything, I would I spotted him. I saw this funny little this funny little dog kind of be bopping around. And after things calmed down, uh, after a little while, they, they realized we weren't going to go anywhere. We, we were there to stay. And um, you know, I, I couldn't help it. Yeah, I walked over to him with that piece of jerky, and and I almost I almost turned around uh, as I got closer to him because he was he he didn't look like he would want anything to do with me. He was covered in bugs hot and hungry and Aww. you know clearly hadn't been taken care of before by a person or anything like that so I, I almost was like ah you know I should leave alone but I I got a little closer and, and uh when I did I I heard this little kind of thump 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 coming from behind him and I, I looked up and he was wagging his tail I love him guy, already he had nothing to wag his tail <laughs> yeah well he had nothing to wag his tail about it so that those were that first moment you know I think back to the like that that's when I really you know, when I fell in love with him, and that's when the rest of the Marines that I was with fell in love with him. And, and the story of how I rescued him and how I got him out is, you know, is uh, is a has a lot of ups and downs and a lot of crazy twists and turns. And but he ultimately beat me home by by a couple of months. And <laughs> when I came home, uh, yeah, my dad my dad took care of him until I got home, and uh, uh, and he didn't complain once. He didn't say anything. <laughs> but uh, when I came home. Uh, it was Fred's turn to, to kind of rescue me, and, and it came down to to thinking about those first moments that we spent together. Because coming home from Afghanistan and getting out of the Marines and, and trying to transition into civilian life was a lot more challenging than I than I thought. And there were a lot of moments that I felt, you know, like I, I could be really angry and, and really negative, and I felt, you know, kind of justified in those feelings. But I, I would always think back to those first moments with Fred when, when he had every reason to, to be angry and, and mean and like all the other dogs we had seen, but he wasn't, you know, and that had made all the, the difference in his life, you know, and so if he could do that, then what's my excuse? You know, if I, I should always be thinking about ways to dig deep. I have to take a very quick break. You can stay, uh, you can stay uh, for another segment, I hope. Sure. Yeah, of course. Excellent. We'll be right back. More with Craig Grossi. All right. And the book is called, well, I love the name of the book, as a matter of fact. The book is called Craig and Fred, a Marine, a stray dog, and how they rescued each other. We're going to find out how that rescue happened. And there's an interesting fact about uh, Craig that he kind of downplayed, and I'll tell you that right after the break, Tom Bernard. Tom Bernard, here to tell you, Priority Courier Experts has immediate openings for drivers looking for more. Priority drivers are independent contractors who set their own hours, start from their own driveways, and deliver local on-call parcels and freight, which means you're home for dinner every night, and you get paid weekly. Right now, Priority's driver-friendly lease-to-own program has brand-new dock trucks, flatbeds, curtain sides, and tractor trailers just waiting to be driven home. And Priority's also offering a $4,000 sign-on bonus to qualified drivers. So if you've got the skills, we can get you qualified to start driving a brand new truck in as little as three days. Calling all drivers. Come get the $4,000 sign-on bonus you deserve for all the knowledge and experience you bring to the delivery business. Call our fleet reps right now at 651-748-4477 or visit them online at Priority.com. Priority Courier Experts. Every time you call us, we deliver. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry, This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. Uh-oh, Fonny would be very happy. You're playing the chip. Chip Monk. That's how she says it. Well, she enunciates all of her. She does. She, does. Does. she does. Good. She enunciates it. Chip monk. She gets mad when you can't understand her. <laughs> she does. Of course. Craig Grossi with us. G-R-O-S-S-I is how the author's name is spelled. Craig and Fred, a Marine, a stray dog, and how they rescued each other. When Craig first came on, I, I pointed out that he was with the Marine Recon. He said, well, I did intelligence for Marine Recon. But the Craig didn't mention 
an eight-year Marine Corps veteran and a recipient of the Purple Heart. You kind of left that uh, out dad, of the equation. My dad, my dad is, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's amazing. What, what, what conflict was your dad in? Well, he was in World War II, and he's still walking around with his yeah. Purple Heart. And he's still walking around. He, uh, what a guy. He I helped. know. Awesome. I'll tell you what, Craig. Uh, my father-in-law helped to free uh, prisoners in, in prison camps in Poland and Germany when he was, what, 17, 18 That's years so cool. old? I think you might have been 19. Yeah. When wow. 19. Yeah. Unbelievable. So, yeah, I like that how you do it. Well, I just did intelligence with the recon. He doesn't mention the fact that he won the Purple Heart, <laughs> which is pretty damn cool, Craig. I did want to mention yeah, that most definitely. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Okay, so the moment you have, and you'll always have, is Fred had every reason to be crabby and bite people and just be mean and vicious like all the other dogs were. He was not. Uh, and by mm-hmm. the way, if you are crabby a lot and angry, you should get into radio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then you can just be crabby all day long. Yeah, just be crabby and mean-spirited <laughs> yeah. all day long. It'd be wonderful. You might as well make a living out of it. Yeah, there you go. Craig, isn't it great, though, that you have that vision, that picture in your head of Fred, you know, bugs all over him and just ratty looking and all the rest of it, and he's wagging his tail. That is a great great thing to have in your mind go well it's not that bad it's not as bad as fred had yeah it. yeah and, and he's a dog you know and, and we you know we expect you know certain things from from animals you know and uh if he you know was able to to maintain that attitude and that that gratitude um you know despite all those those you know reasons not to then you know what's any of our excuses you know and that's we travel the country a lot now speaking at, at schools and corporate functions and different organizations will have us come and, and share our story and, you know, a little bit of the message of it. That's always, you know, kind of what I like to get across is it's this, to me, it's this idea, this philosophy, I, I call it stubborn positivity. Because uh, when you take that, you know, that same energy that you put into to being stubborn, you know, or crabby or, you know, or just making, you know, feelings, right. you know, like you're, you know, you're a victim, you know, and you, you put it into, to, finding something to be positive about, finding something to be you know, grateful for, then, you know, Fred is kind of an example to, to all of us of, of, you know, what's possible, how far you can go. I mean, it's just a great story, Craig, I will tell you that. It's, uh, oh, thank you. Well, no, I, I just love the way you kind of looked at that whole thing and, and you kept uh, you kept Fred with you. I love that. You got a new friend and you yeah. thought it said, I, you got a new Fred. How did you smuggle him out of the country? <laughs> yeah. out how of did the you? Country. How did yeah. that happen? Or, and into this one. Yeah, getting him out of... That was uh, getting him. The first step was getting him out of the field because the area we were in was so remote and so so dangerous that we had to we inserted out of helicopters uh, in the middle of the night and we would spend about a month uh, living right on the ground with the with the villagers and and then after about a month they'd come and pick us up and take us out and take us back to a big base for about two weeks to get rested up and. And uh, you know, replan plan the next mission and, and head right back in. So the first step was getting him, getting him out of the field. And you know, I couldn't just walk him up the back of the helicopter. And, and it was a big risk because even if I was able to get him, you know, back to the base, then you know that I, I was essentially taking him from a, a an environment that was, you know, more dangerous for for us, but you know, safer for him to a, and you know, back to this base where if he was caught, he'd be put down. Mm. You know, and, and I could get Aww. in trouble too. But it would be the circumstances were you know, we're pretty, we're pretty dramatic. So I, I wanted to make sure that it was really what I was supposed to do and it was really what he wanted. So I kind of left it up to him. And, uh, you know, I said, okay, buddy, if you, if you follow me to the helicopter and you're not scared off by the noise and the dust and the chaos of a, of a combat extraction, uh, you know, I'll have a duffel bag and, you know, we'll stuff you in it and we'll see what we can do. And <laughs> sure enough, I, I didn't think he would. I really, I, you know, I was, I was, I thought at best, 50-50 that he would actually do it, but sure enough, that helicopter came in, and, and he was right on right on my heel, and my buddy grabbed him by the back of the neck, and we stuffed him in this duffel bag and zipped it closed, and, and he, he went on a helicopter ride before he ever went on a car ride. I don't think there's any dogs that can say that. No, not too many uh, dogs can say that. First, that was the first, yeah, that was the first leg of his journey, and the rest of it, you know, is just a, an incredible kind of testament to people from all over the world um you know kind of went above and beyond for fred just because they saw what i saw you know they saw you know how gentle and how kind and how funny and and you know trusting he was and and that's something that we all 
regardless of where we're from and our, you know in our background, you know we all understand it and and see the importance of that. Um, you know, so it, it it's it's an incredible incredible story, and I, I never get tired of, of of telling it and sharing it. What's his personality like now that he's uh, well fed and has a, probably a nice yeah. bed and all kinds of toys to play with? Yeah. Is he, he now a diva? He, he really. Yeah, uh, he's a little bit of a diva, but he's, I think he's always kind of been. At, but he's really still, he's, he, especially now that we live up in Maine and we have plenty of space where he can run. And he's still a pretty, he's a pretty wild boy when he wants to be. But what I love about Fred is, is we travel a lot, you know, and he loves, he definitely loves being outside in the woods or, you know, running around on a beach somewhere. But we were just in New York City for uh, for some events and um, we, Fred was actually the top dog at this, this fancy gala that uh, supports the Animal, Med- Animal Medical Center, which is this big hospital in, in New York City for animals. And, um, but it, it's fun to walk, walk him around New York City, too, because he, he understands kind of – he gets that energy and he kind of reads his environment, you know. And, and like, we, we were walking through an intersection, and there was this big, angry traffic cop, like, blowing her whistle and yelling at cabs. And, and Fred just kind of looked at her, and she looked back at him, and she just, like – Melted right, uh. right there, right in the middle of the New York intersection. She was just like, "Good morning, sweetheart." <laughs> so funny. He just does that to people, you know. And and then when we go to a high school, we go to an event, and he walks on a stage, and, he, and everyone claps. He knows, you know, like that they're there for him, and he always kind of holds his head real high, and he lets yeah. out a nice little whine. Big shot. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's, he's an incredible, incredible dog. It's a wonderful thing. It, it, you know, you just make me think of uh, over the years, Catherine and I have been together. We've had several dogs, and right now we have a Cavalier King Charles named Jude. After talk about yeah. a diva, you talk about a diva. Oh my God, Craig! Yeah, oh, we, but I have a, I have we a live chair. to serve him. I, I have a chair where when I lean back, the footstool comes up. You know those recliners, recliner, where the, yeah. the recliner yeah. where the foot thing part comes up. If I have my legs crossed and there's nowhere for him to sit, he will sit at the uh-huh. end of the chair and go like this. Gloggle, gloggle, gloggle. He's complaining. He complains that I, yeah. I'm in his way. Oh it's God. hilarious. Right. How dare you. <laughs> How dare you block yeah. my spot. Uh, right. Yeah. Obviously, you, you, you think, and I think we perceive, you think you're a much better person because of Fred, because because Fred carried uh, carried that anger and that uh, probably saw a lot of distrust in there. He, he allowed you just after what he had been through to go, hey, if he can do it, I can do it. That's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think for me, uh, a tricky part about my transition back into the civilian world was I actually went home. To where where I was from originally, I went back to the Washington D.C. area, and and so and I was the only one out of my friends that that uh, from high school that had joined the military, and so everybody, you know, had kind of gone their own path, and so when I came home, it, I kind of was able to leave it behind, but that that wasn't the right thing. I I I, I you know it was it was tricky because I I didn't know how to talk to anybody about it. I didn't have any other veterans around, right. but I had Fred, you know, and, and we had literally been through a lot of the same stuff you know we had dodged the same mortars and rpgs and and slept in the dirt together and so it, knowing that you know if nothing else i had this dog that got it you know we were on the same we were connected through that that experience you know it really it really helped me greg i'll tell you we <clears throat> this show has a listener who saw some horrible horrible action overseas uh the ptsd kicked in big time and they got him a service dog and he came out to the state fair one uh-huh. year, and he and his, he was so happy. He had changed completely. Yeah. The service dog just did a wonder wonderful job and worked wonders for him. I, uh, next year That's he awesome. came he came back next year. He didn't have the dog with him. I said, "What? Where is your dog?" He goes, "He died." It's like, my God, you go through all of that, and then your dog that you just adore, who reconnected you with the world, ends up dying. Yeah. It's just what a horrible thing to go through. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, that's that's tough. Yeah, but you know that I, I can't imagine that that loss. But at no. the same time, the dog, you know, that 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 dog served, you know, its purpose. And I, I think I think dogs are they they're this really tangible uh, force of good that we should pay closer attention to because things like that where it, that 
you know, that dog opened him back up to the world and reconnected him yeah. right. with his world, you know, that, that's huge. It is. And I think <clears throat> if we're so good about tracking the bad things, you know, when something bad happens, we're really good about figuring out, you know, who's to blame or where it went wrong. But when something good happens too often, we're, we're really dismissive of it. You know, we just kind of say, oh, congrats. You know, that's great. We don't really give it the same analytical attention. And I think we should. And I think a dog is a great way to measure that, to measure that, you know, that, that force of good. No question. Craig, how old is Fred? Uh, he's probably about nine. There's lots of theories, though. Some of the, some of the Marines that I was with were convinced that he was like a year, two years old when we found him. And they might be right. I, I, it's hard to tell. I, I, you know, he had all of his adult eat um, already when we found him. And, and so the best estimate, the estimate I can give is, you know, maybe he was an old puppy, maybe around 10 months, nine months old when we found him. So that puts him at around nine. So, so you should have him for several more years, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's in great health. He's still, uh, you know, he's still very much a puppy. You know, he every. Every day he can't wait to get outside and chase the squirrels and, and run around. <laughs> yeah, dog. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's all—he loves it. Yeah, he, and yeah, he's all always ready to jump in the truck, and he doesn't know if we're going around the corner or if we're going across the country. But he, you know, he loves it no matter what. We have a, a lot of fun. We have a two and a half year old granddaughter, and Jude, yeah. Jude the dog, when he's at home, he sits on the back of the couch and looks out the window. And and the two and a half uh-huh. year old fawn went over and looked out the window with with the dog, and she looks turns around and looks at Catherine and, me and goes, "Jude loves barking at the birds, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or whatever's yeah. walking by, sure or, does. or the wind, the yeah. wind, the oh wind. yeah, he yes. barks at the wind." <laughs> I, I think uh-huh. is is it still true that dog yeah. dogs are the only animals on earth that have that affinity for humans? Right? I mean, they're like horses will, but not like a dog. Yeah, a not dog. That, yeah, dogs not that. are the only animal yeah. that will try to figure out what a human being wants from them. Right, right. It's yeah. pretty special. On their yeah. own. I, I say that's true. Yes, I'm sure that people true. have incredible connections with, dog, with all, all kinds of animals. But, yeah, I think a dog is, is always kind of a, you know, the, the, you can always count on a dog to, to be there for you. One more very quick thing. When Catherine and I first got together, sure. we've been together for 37 years, been married for 34, almost 35 oh, years. Great. Our first dog together wow. was, was a beautiful Irish setter named Clayton. And the thing I loved uh-huh. about, see, the only dogs I had ever been around before then, Craig, because I grew up in the ghetto, were guard dogs. <laughs> so these were not friendly oh, dogs. Yeah. So the first friendly right. dog we had was Clayton, beautiful Irish setter. And whenever he did mm-hmm. something wrong, you go, Clayton, and his eyebrows would start to dance mm. up and down and trying to figure out how to get out of this one. It was phenomenal. Yeah, oh, man, oh, man. I, yeah, that's so funny how they pick up on stuff like that. It is great. Craig and Fred, a Marine, yeah. a stray dog, and how they rescued each other. Craig, wonderful having you on. I love talking to you. Oh. All the best to Fred and you. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Yeah, Brian. and if, people, if anybody wants to follow along on, with Fred, he's Fred the Afghan on, on social media and our, our website. We have a lot of fun on, on, on oh. Instagram. With Fred. Fred the Afghan, oh, very I'm good. I'm following you right now. Yeah. Oh, my wife is already <laughs> Craig, thanks for your time, sir. Great talking to you. Yeah, appreciate y'all. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. What a nice man. All right. Very nice guy, didn't you think? Yeah, mm-hmm. great story. It, amazing just how much uh, an animal can do to help him heal and everything. And, the yep. Afghan. You know what's funny about that, though? There he is. I asked him, I said, how old is Fred? Because when I mentioned my friend's dog dying, he got choked up. Oh, I know, of course. Because he was thinking about his dog. And I saw you, Ralph, thinking about your dog yeah, over there, too. When we got her, I thought, this is not going to go good one day. It's tough. No. Yeah, that's the thing. You well, the, the thing you have to remember is no matter how much it hurts, you know, when they go, it, you had all that nice time with it's them. It's true. Yeah. Tell Lindsay that. Don't be sad that it's over. Be thankful that it ever happened. Uh, Ted Geisel. 63,000 followers on Instagram. It's not bad. (laughs) Fred's doing pretty well. That's going to do it. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Tom Bernard Show.